Are you ready to become awesomer? Hello, everyone. This is Umar Hamid, your host, and welcome to the No Limit Selling Podcast, where industry leaders share their tips, strategies, and advice on how to make you better, stronger, faster. Get ready for another episode. Today, I'm sitting down with Seth Daly, the operating partner for The Daly Group and uh, Keller Williams Gateway. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Glad to be here. So, Seth, how did you get into real estate? How long have you been in this career? So, about 13 years have been in the real estate industry. My wife and I moved out here in 2005 from Chicago to where we now live in Baltimore. And she got into real estate relatively soon after we moved out here. She was in HR in Chicago. I was a a CPA. So, I came out of public accounting. And when she went into real estate, it was actually one of those conversations of we both knew we wanted, well, I probably knew I wanted to be in sales even more than she did. She got into real estate. So, I was kind of like, uh, well, if you're going to have the fish, all of the the, the, the stake, and so uh, so I went into mortgages. So for about three years, I was on the mortgage side, nice. 2005 to 2008, uh, and so if we were helping a buyer, it would be very likely that she would help him find the house, and, and I would turn around and help him get the mortgage. And then in around 2008, as, as the economy was shifting, we realized that it's like we were in the middle of the ocean in two little lifeboats, and we're both paddling and we're like, well, why are we in two boats? Well, one of them might get a leak. And it's like, well, better just to get in one boat. You can paddle twice as far, twice as fast. And so I joined her on the real estate side. We, we continue to, to build a team and, uh, and, and the team has just evolved from there. And, and, and now at this point we have a team as well as a brokerage. So tell me about the team. How many people in your team? That is a constantly moving target. Uh, approximately right now, there's about five administrative, so five operations mm-hmm. members, and then five uh, sales team members. And then and then Alice and myself, we're more removed from production inside of the team currently. Uh, so, so five and five for right now, but it's a team of about 12. What kind of volume are you guys doing? Sure. So uh, that team will probably do around uh, 150, 175 units this year. Nice. So, yeah. So what made you become a practice owner, like at Keller Williams Gateway? Sure. And what's the correct term? Sure. So so Keller Williams brokerages, they call mm-hmm. market centers. Market right? center, like that's it. They come up with, with language for almost everything. And so the, the primary... Uh, Owner, I mean, there's there's an ownership group, and yet the the primary owner is called an operating partner. Uh, so that's my title, or an operating principal, uh, and and so uh, I mean that's that's my role inside of the office, and and that's effectively holding the leadership team of the office accountable, uh, bringing capital and vision uh, to the to the enterprise. So talk to me about that. So Keller Williams has a, a culture of they what do. they want, but uh, also when you have an office here in White Marsh. It has a, I suspect, would have a different feel than, let's say, the Keller Williams in uh, San Diego. Like they've got the, would there be a different feel? Sure, sure. I'm, so I'm, I'm sure like every organization, mm-hmm. they're going to take on the flavor of, of their leadership team to a degree, right? And in, in some ways that that's, that, that's going to, it all cascades down from leadership. So absolutely, like my... Um, approach towards real estate, my approach towards my view of Keller Williams, like that's going to cascade into this office. Absolutely. I, I'm, I'm, you know, you and I know some of the same trainers in the industry. And so there's no doubt about it, like, like who I've learned from is going to be infused into this office. And yet we did join a company that has an, an amazing track record. And so, you know, that's the track record we want to promote here. It, it, it's, it's, it's like if you buy an Apple product, you want to run an Apple operating system on it. It's going to work better Brilliant. that way. And, it's, and, and that's true. When you have a culture that you want to strengthen and you have new agents coming in, 
how do you instill, because it's easy to give them a pamphlet, but how do you instill that culture in their hearts and minds so they operate with that spirit in mind? That is a, uh, that's a question that hits uh, hits heavy because all, all my brain starts to go there, all the places that I'm not doing that to the level that I want, right? Uh, I, I'm, I'm reminded of this idea of anytime we wanna change a culture, it's, it's shifting the frequency of the conversation and, and the nature of the conversation. Uh, I, I, I'll say I feel at times more effective on that inside of, of the team, right? Like changing a culture inside of a team of 12 yes. is certainly easier than changing a culture inside of a, uh, a brokerage of 170. In, in some ways, somewhere in that line, there's, there's, a, there's almost a shift where a team, you, you feel like you're attracting people to a team and, and, a, and a brokerage at that size, you, it, they, it can feel a bit more like clients Yes. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, like, who are our clients? Well, they're the agents in this office that you and I are, are sitting in right now. And I don't know exactly where that line shifts. And I know that a breakthrough for me as a leader is is how to how to lead larger and larger groups and cast more and more of a vision. Uh, if, for me, it, it started. What's true in both the team and inside of the brokerage is this idea that that what we're about is empowering people mm-hmm. uh, to to. To, to live as successful of a life as they can. And so so it's taking some of the, uh, let's take the Keller Williams stuff, right? So when Keller Williams says that they wanna help, help people have careers worth having and businesses worth owning and lives worth living, then we're kind of, at a local office level, it's like we're we're playing in between uh, the space of the notes, right? If we, we think about music, like yes. we're in the space in between there. So what does it actually look like to have a career worth having here in, in the Baltimore suburbs, right? With with what our cost of living is and what our transaction uh, price points are, et cetera. Like, what does that look like? And 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 given the makeup of this market, like what is a life worth living? And, and so really going into those conversations, uh, my life has, has consistently been about empowering people. Mm-hmm. Like if if, uh, if if Alice was to choose a life word, her life word would be connection. My life word would be empowering. And so between the two of us, like what we're at doing in the world is empowering connection. What that looks like in the office is making our office almost, it's taken some pages out of the playbook of our team. So our team for, for a decade now has been doing client events. Well, a couple of years ago, we started to pick that up at the office level. So we do like a Thanksgiving pie event. I mean, that's that's something that we brought from our team into the office. And yes. other people in the office have done it, absolutely. And, and yet our goal was like, how can we take something that's worked well for us at a team level and empower it so that any agent in the office, even if they just have three or four clients that they want to invite to it that they can. It's all about helping people build community with their own sphere, their own database. It's actually one of the reasons why, you know, I'm next door neighbors with one of the agents in this office that you and I both know well. And and it is it is possible to have a great friendly relationship and a great cooperative relationship because at the end of the day, we have different databases. We have different spheres of influence that we Going back to the with. pie reference, the pie is bigger yeah. than any one of us. There we go. It, it, it's one so of true. the most brilliant people I've heard of is, uh, his name was Calvert. He started the NSA, the National Speakers Association. Okay. He started it when there wasn't anything uh, as a professional speaker. So his goal was, what we need to do is do we, we need to make the pie bigger. Hmm. So whatever knowledge he had, he freely shared it with anybody. This is how you do this. This is how you get a contract. Hey, borrow my contract. Yeah. And he started this organization. And the cool part about it is this. 
the guy has been dead and buried probably for 25 years. Okay. But you go into any NSA chapter around the world, and you've got a million-dollar speaker and somebody that's uh, just starting out, and the million-dollar person will open up their playbook and share it with them. So that's creating a culture that transcends the leader is already dead but is still living, and it's just very much how do we empower people to become awesomer. And those guys rock it. That sounds fantastic. Wow. I need to look into that. So, Seth, tell me, you know, there's many agents here, mm-hmm. and you probably had a lot more through the years. Sure. Perhaps don't name the agent, but think of an agent that came in that had such great promise, and you're looking on saying, you know, this person could be a rock star, and they're still struggling. How did you help them kind of figure out what the roadblock was and overcome that? Like, do you have one of those kind of real practical, you know, it took a while, but we figured out what had them stuck? Yeah, it's, it's, I, I can think of a couple agents. Um, the common theme, right, is, mm-hmm. is, is it is mindset, right? I mean, that, that's, that's where it goes to. And, and, you know, you said something earlier about the, the size of the pie. It's, it's amazing when, when we just, if we simply think about scarcity versus an abundance yes. mindset, and that shows up everywhere. It shows up for agents in the, the feeling about scarcity of what they're, what work they have to do so they don't hire a team because they're stuck in a scarcity mindset they do they, they think of employees as a cost rather than an investment it they uh, their their approach to bringing on buyers agents it, it can be mired in in this scarcity um, I'll watch limiting beliefs just mm-hmm. show up for people again and again and and it's amazing kind of the stories that we tell ourselves. Like I was, I was in a conversation today with, with a couple agents at a, at a different office. Um, and yet it, it's a, it's a common theme. And it's like, um, it's like if I asked you, uh, if, if we've ever tried to lose weight, somebody yes. says, well, sure. I've tried to lose weight. Right. And, and did you, did you succeed or did, did you fail? Well, I, I, I failed. Okay. And was it that you didn't know enough? Well, no, I, 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 I knew plenty. It wasn't a knowledge issue. Like, and we're we're so quick to think that we just need more knowledge, and that's yes. the answer. When reality, we probably have all the knowledge we need. It's an execution thing. And in our industry, uh, I certainly observe that it's like people belonging to a gym. Yes. And thinking that if they would just go to a different gym with the new weight equipment, or maybe with the old school weight equipment, or the new treadmills, or the new trainer—not me, it's the trainer. That's right, right. And and they just think that if I just if I just go to the the new gym, then I'd get different results. And and meanwhile, it's it's always it pulls back to the fundamentals. So so it's the rewiring of like living with empathy. Yes, like well, so how do you how do you transform that? Well, it's one, it's being in relationship enough with an agent like that to say like. Let's actually unpack what you're doing and pull pull all the stories aside and just get back to what's the real issue. And the real issue is is usually going to come down to a couple simple fundamentals. But it might have been covered over by years and years and years of like flawed thinking that just gets into this really gunked up space in their head. And that's exactly how beliefs work. Uh, you could have somebody in a loving relationship with their father. They're five years old. They've got a million examples of their father doing amazing things and this one thing they do wrong and their father flips out and in that moment they get a belief that I'm worthless Hmm. which actually is total bullshit yeah but the way beliefs work is like okay if that's a belief that I've got now now I'm gonna look for evidence oh he spoke to my brother before he spoke to me that must mean and all of a sudden we start building this guck around it because it's bullshit and the only way we can make it real or realer is to collect evidence to make it 
so scary we don't go anywhere near it and we just operate with it. And unpacking it, when you finally get down to the last thread and you look, there's nothing there. Yeah. And uh, the question is, how do you get to that epiphany? Uh, Do you do it on your deathbed when you're like 95? Or do you have this uh, conversation with someone that cares that you realize, oh, my God. All this time I thought it was other people, but it's me holding myself back. Well, I was teaching a course on negotiation last week, and and even in there, right? Like, like anytime you can help people separate out what actually happened with the story, like what did we make it mean? If if we just we go through life just kind of asking ourselves, what did I just make that mean? Mm -hmm. Right about about everything that happened. Like you know what? Okay, so something happened. Somebody hung up on me, or somebody said this, or somebody did that. And, and what did I tell myself was true based on that? And because it's whatever's there, that's the programming. And we're, we, it, the problem is that our, our programming happens so quickly between when something actually happens and when we make up a story oh, about absolutely. it. And it's, it's the speed at which that occurs that we think it's the same thing. And, and it's like, uh, it's, I think back to the movie The Matrix, right? Where yes. it's like in slow motion kind of dodging the bullets. And it's like, if we could take our lives and when, it, when an interaction occurs with a coworker or a client or whatever it might be, if we could like slow it down kind of like The Matrix and see the difference between the client just said X and I made it mean X and Y and Z and... And it resonated with the other bullshit I carry within myself yeah. so it made it more real. Well, sure. Like on my reticular activator, yes. like anytime somebody says X, I really key into that. Yeah. yeah. And what's amazing is, I'm not sure if you've ever been in a near traffic accident, but if you have, you there's something called time distortion hmm. where time slows down. So I'll, I'll tell you this one story. Yeah, yeah. I was going to pick my uh, mother up at work and it just snowing. It's like in... In Canada, snows there a lot. And there was this S bend in the road. And just as I hit the first part of the S, the radio went out of tune. So I took, I was a young driver, like 18 or 17. And I took my hand off the wheel to hit the radio. And my hand yanked on the other side. And the car went into uh, out of control spin. Oh, wow. And for me, time slowed down. And I put one hand behind the seat. The other one, I was just using my finger to steer. And did this amazing thing. A car ended up going backwards a little bit, but nobody got hurt. Then I just did a U-turn, went to pick her up, and nobody had come down the street. And as we were driving back, my mother looks at the tire mark and says, Oh, my God, look what somebody did. I went, Yes, Mom. Somebody, like, totally insane. Yeah, but the point is, is I was in total control because the adrenaline and the fight-or-flight response, and it just slowed down time to basically see what you needed to do. Yeah. And so we have that ability. And what you're doing in your training is getting people to mechanically unpack this, slow this down, and see that A happened and you made it mean this when that's your stuff, not anybody else's. That's a gift, giving people that ability. Yeah, it, it's um, it's slowing it down in our minds. I, I mean, I, I think a lot lately about, uh, you know, and, and, and I got it from, from Tony Robbins, but just this, this idea that it's it's what we focus on. Yes. And, it, and it's the language that we use. And, and then, of course, his third component is it's our it's our physiology. Absolutely. Right? It, it, like you could you could hear the exact same statement from somebody with your arms folded or sitting down slumped in a chair versus standing up. And, and you'll you'll hear it, different, it differently. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And, uh, you know, so it was, it, and it's amazing. I, I'm a pretty cerebral person, so mm-hmm. I feel like for most of my life I've been successful 
th- through I, I I got places through my thinking. Yes. And and I've realized you know over the years like I, I actually need to shift that to realizing like uh, all of my being needs to be involved in a decision. And um, I mean, yeah, the, the, our breakthrough is a, is as close away as a quick shift in our thinking, and sometimes even just a shift in our physiology. And, Absolutely. And, 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 it, and it can transform one conversation at a time. Brilliant. And I think we can do that for the negative things in life, mm-hmm. but we also need to do it for the positive things. When something amazing happens, unpacking that and going, wow, that person really cares. Or, wow, they said this, and I could have gone down that path, but I chose to go down this path yeah. because there's wisdom everywhere. It's just, uh, you know, we've heard that old adage of, you know, there's the past, there's the future, but there's only one present. Mm. And most of us, me included, do not live here most of the time. Yeah. Most of the time we're living somewhere else. And if we can actually be present for the person you're with, there's a ton of information coming over that yeah. you can use to, to strengthen the relationship. The, uh, that, that, that's beautiful. I don't know if you've heard of a concept called appreciative inquiry. Is I've not, a, but it sounds so, awesome. Um, yeah, I probably have a, a, a book somewhere in this office on the topic. But appreciative inquiry, well, it, it's in some ways, it's as simple as it sounds, right? It's, it's inquiry, so it's questions yes. that are appreciative, right? The uh, lens like, is. Like the lens is positive. And, and I recognize that, I, again, I told you I was, I was coaching a, a, a team of agents earlier this morning, and when I started the meeting, I would normally, my normal disposition would be to go into a meeting and say, well, so what's, uh, what's, what's broken in the team? What, what do we need to work on? And I mean, that, that's my normal lens yes. of looking for, that's like a SWOT analysis. Cause you want to fix it. Yeah. What's our weakness, right? Yeah. Like, like let's zero in on it. And, and I started with the, the question like, what do you guys appreciate most about your team? Like, like, like it's actually, and, and it took them a little bit to get started on that. Like it was actually hard for them to engage in the appreciative side of the conversation. And that just shows you like how wired we are naturally to go to to fault or blame or finding something negative. It, it's a muscle we actually need to work. Absolutely. As humans, as business people, as, as coaches, as people leading teams, like work the appreciative muscle in, inside of our world. It's huge. Like tomorrow I'm gonna to be doing a workshop and I'm gonna be asking people to tell their partner where they're awesome. Yeah. I'm gonna ask after they've done that, how many people here felt really uncomfortable doing that? And about 80% of the hands will go up. Yeah. Like telling people where I'm screwed up, that's much more comfortable than telling them where I'm awesome. So it's all that kind of internal baggage filters how we see the world. Sure. The way we filter the world is the way we validate the world. So it becomes like this ever-tightening circle of BS. Like whatever we think, we're looking for evidence and we get stronger and stronger and more rooted in it till we basically can't get out of that lens. And, and, and yet understanding that filters exist is like so much of, uh, of the breakthrough. Right? Absolutely. So, so once we understand they exist, um, one thought is we can change the filters. Uh, so I'll give you a good example of that where we understand it deeply. Uh, you've got kids, right? Mm-hmm. How old are your children? So, uh, so we just had a couple birthdays. So we got fifth. Uh, so four daughters. Yes. Fifteen, thirteen, nine, and six. So I bet you every single one of them on a particular issue, whether it's boyfriends or going, uh, staying up late, whatever the issue is, if I ask them. What would your dad think about this? I bet you with a high degree of accuracy, they'd say my dad would say this and my mother would say this so they know which one to go to. Sure, sure. So a lot of times we don't see our own filters clearly, but we can see others' filters with quite a bit of accuracy. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of fascinating how we can do it for others so easily and our own stuff uh, we're blind to. 
And that's why God invented spouses, because they tell us. <laughs> yeah, well, I am super grateful for mine because uh, that's true. And, and it's funny because we, we say that tongue-in-cheek, right, because they do. And yet, um, you know, whether somebody's in a committed relationship or, or, or just has a, a, a coaching relationship, a relationship with a business partner, the reality is we are, as humans, like we need community yes. in, a, in a powerful way. And sometimes it's just it's just actually asking people a question. There's there's an author, Brene Brown. She would say a statement this way. She'd say, send her husband, she'd say, you know, hey, this just happened. And um, the, the story I made up about that puts our marriage at risk. Wow. And, and and but so just think about how brilliant that is, right? She just she acknowledges, hey, this happened, right? Like you sh- and, and now I'm giving examples from our team, right? You showed up late to a meeting or or you said this or or your, your post on social media was like this. And, and and the story I made up about that, which is great because now it's owning. Right. It's like acknowledging that you've got a filter and then just actually speaking into the conversation. I made it mean something else and and actually just by saying that you start to separate out for yourself what actually happened versus the story and when you can take ownership of that like there's so much change that can occur um this for us is how when we watch the culture transform within our team Mm -hmm. or, or even inside the brokerage it transforms because people get responsible for their own filters and start to live in 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 relationship with people in, in a different way, right? It, it causes more authenticity. Absolutely, and I've, I've seen the other side of that coin mm-hmm. where, when, Seth, when you did this, I thought it meant this, did I get it right? Yeah. And sometimes for the other person, it, instead of, Seth, you did this and you bastard, this means that. Yeah, yeah. Other people get defensive when it's like, Seth, I saw you do this and you can only talk about what you saw what you heard or something you physically touched. So there is no nebulousness. And I thought this meant that you disrespected me. And then you go, yes, Umar, I did. Or no, yeah, I did this because, and if we could have those kinds of conversations with ourselves on that side of the coin or the other side of the coin, this is the meaning, this is the story I told myself, wouldn't it make the world a simpler place? Well, and, and even even just that uh, that quote, you know, we judge others by their actions mm-hmm. and we judge ourselves by our intentions and, and imagine if we would just flip it right and we judge others by their intentions and only assume positive intent yes right just just only assume positive intent uh, ever with somebody because how could you actually know any different we, we make up all these these stories all the time i'm sure you've traveled a lot i have too and the one thing i've noticed is no matter where you go people are nice people want to help you people go out of their way uh, to do amazing things. And if we can just realize that in our work setting, yeah. in our families, that the intention is positive. Well, I think that's a testament to you because there's going to be some people who travel and that's not their experience of yes. the world, right? Because they, they, they see what they're expecting to see, right? And and yet I, I love that, right? Like like there there are... There's enough goodness in the world that when you're on the lookout for it, it's amazing how it'll show up. Brilliant. Seth, uh, this was a delightful conversation. Thanks for sitting down with me. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. And if you're looking for more tools, go to my website at nolimitselling.com. I've got a free mind training course there that's going to teach you some insights from the world of neuro-linguistic programming, and that is the fastest way to get better results. 